Pastor Will and even both of them already this morning serving our church uh, so well. Um, if, you, if you have felt their pastoral care more lately than usual, it's because over the last few months we've just as make sure that each area of our ministry is flourishing. And so uh, I, know at le- I know at least Will, but I think maybe Matt and Will have visited in our children's ministries here on Sunday mornings lately and, and have been involved more in our youth ministries. And we're, we're actually uh, even today with Josh uh, going to be talking through some, some music things and stuff. And so uh, with, uh, with Will's announcement about our how we're caring for our missionaries and how we're proceeding even uh, with our into the future with our missions program. I mean, you know, some of the things he shared this morning, it's not easy. It's, it's, it's not fun to make some of the announcements that, that Will had to make uh, here this morning. Those literally are things we have been talking about and praying about for years. Um, they were suggestions that Pastor Brian had when he was on staff here five years ago, and we just thought, man, we're not sure that now is the right time or exactly the best way to, to process that. So I'm just really thankful that um, the pastoral care for this body is not limited to me, because um, you get, if I'm the only pastor, then all you get is the very few gifts that I have and all the weaknesses, and thankfully we have, now we have lots of weaknesses um, represented in the, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. We, uh, hopefully we've shored up many of the weaknesses and uh, are able to, to pastorally care for you and to serve you well. I, I have a lot of titles in my life, a lot, of, a lot of names that I get called by that I really love, right? Babe. Uh, in representation of my husbanding role is my number one favorite one. Daddy is my number two, and pastor is my number three. I, I, love, I love being called pastor. I'm not saying that you should need to call me, you can call me Jeremy, but I'm just saying that like the fact that I get to serve Christ as a pastor and that I get to serve you as one of your pastors um, is, uh, is a title that I love, and I know it's a title that these men love as well. Um, but another title that you may not be aware that I have uh, and that, uh, that actually Will and Matt have as well, is the title priest. Did you know that I'm a priest? I'm a, I'm a priest. We're going to talk about that a little bit here this morning. I'm, I'm a priest, and, and Pastor Matt, he's a priest as well. And Pastor Will is a priest as well. Um, and... Uh, and that's one of the titles that we bear, but it's not a title that you need to call us because you're a priest as well. I'm a priest, Will's a priest, Matt's a priest, but you're a priest as well. And this morning we're going to look into the, uh, the book of Exodus and we're going to look at some fascinating chapters in the book of Exodus together. We're going to look at two chapters in their entirety. We actually aren't going to take the time to read through them thoroughly, though I wish I wish time would really just allow for us to do that. Maybe this afternoon on your own you can do that. We're going to look at a lot of them. We're going to look at some big chunks of it. But we this morning are in Exodus chapter 28 and 29, and this morning we're going to talk about holy men. See, we need a holy man to bring us to God. We need a holy man to bring us to God. I am going to read the first few verses of Exodus chapter 28. I'm going to read, I'm going to read just the first few, few verses here. Then bring, in Exodus chapter 28, verse 1, Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, God, this is, this is Yahweh talking to Moses. He says, Bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel. Bring them near to you to serve me as priests, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with my spirit of skill that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make. A breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons 
to serve me as priests. Now, flip over to chapter 29. Now, this is what you shall do to them, to the, the uh, Aaron and his sons, to consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. Take one bull of the herd and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes, mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers, smeared with oil. You shall make them a fine wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket and bring the bull and the two rams. And you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments after they've been washed with water. You shall put on Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod and the ephod, and the breastpiece, and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod. You shall set the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. You shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put coats on them. Right, So they're, they're putting on all of the clothing that they've been, that's been made for them. And you shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them. And the priesthood shall be theirs by a statute forever. You shall ordain Aaron and his sons, and you shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting, Aaron and his sons, and shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall, and here it is again, an animal's got to die. You shall kill the bull before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. You shall take Part of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and the rest of the blood you shall pour out at the base of the altar. We'll stop our reading there for now this morning. Father, as we look into your word, help us see clearly the, the beautiful imagery of what happened here in Old Testament history and the history of the people of God and help us to see how it points us ahead so well to Jesus and his work on our behalf, and then how it even informs how we live our lives here today. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, we're going to look first at the holy men of Israel, these men that the Bible call priests. And then we're going to look secondly, point number two this morning is going to be the holy man of Israel, and that's referring specifically to Jesus Christ. And then number three, we're going to talk about the holy people of God, and that's going to be in reference to you and to me. And under each of these three things, so we have the holy, uh, the holy men of Israel, then we have the holy man of Israel, and then we have the holy people of God. Under each, three of, uh, each of those three things are going to be three points. The called, the clothed, and the consecrated. The called, the clothed, and the consecrated. Okay, so first of all, the holy men of Israel. Here in Exodus chapter 28 and chapter 29, we have yet again a couple of chapters with a lot of details that most of us when we're doing our Bible reading think, man, where's the part with like David's mighty men killing a bunch of people, you know, with swords and they, they fought so long that their hand, you know, claved to the sword, they couldn't take their hand off the sword. Where, where's some of the battle stuff? Where, where's the really interesting parts of the Bible? Because we're reading about ephods, and linen, and I don't know what that stuff is. I don't know exactly what that means. Brothers and sisters, as we look into these two chapters, specifically this morning, chapter 28 and 29, we are going to see the beauty of God's plan for redemption and the beauty of the holy men in the Bible. First of all, the holy men of Israel. And we see right away in verse 1 of chapter 28 that God calls out of the nation of Israel some people to do a specific job for him. Look in chapter 28, verse 1. Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel. Bring uh, from among the people of Israel, Moses, call out from them, Moses, and then as you, many of you are still young and, and having children, here's some names that you may want to consider for some of your sons, right? Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. Right? I, I'm not sure which one of those four, but man, those are some great names, some great potential names for kids uh, in your family in the future. Call these people out. They were, they were chosen by God. They were called out. One commentator says, The Lord's words to minister unto me are found five times in these 
two chapters. And to be sure, the priests ministered to the people. These were, these were men that were being called out by God for the purpose of ministering for the people to God. These, these, these men did not call themselves. These are not men that called themselves, right? Moses didn't say, all right, we need some priests and uh, all of those who are interested in the priesthood, if you meet me right after the service, and we're going to talk a little bit about that, Moses didn't have priestly tryouts, right? He didn't have, right, he didn't have a version of, you know, uh, America's strongman competition, or maybe not strongman competition, but um, uh, when I was at Bob Jones University every year, uh, they, there were different campus organizations that the students were part of, and they would have something each year called Knowledge Bowl, and think like Jeopardy, right? Like really hard questions about stuff. And then these different organizations would compete against each other. And then um, those, those campus organizations think, okay, th- I'm, I'm, I'm using language that's, uh, that may not be understood to you. So at, at Bob Jones, we had um, a Christian version of what you would think of as like a sorority or a fraternity, okay? But then... Most of what you think of when you think of fraternities and sororities did not happen at Bob Jones University, okay? But we would play intercollegiate, we would play intramural sports against each other, or we would compete against each other in these things called Knowledge Bowl, right? And so this has nothing to do with my sermon, but I'm excited to tell you about this. Um, and so the, as you can imagine, right, so the, you, we would have soccer teams and you would play against each other in soccer. Or we would have basketball and you compete against each other in basketball. Or you would have knowledge, a knowledge bowl team and you would compete against the other societies, um, is what we called them, uh, in knowledge bowl. Now, just get this. The, the, the society that would win the basketball championship was not the group that would win the knowledge bowl competition, right? It, it, you, became, you became known for your ability in Knowledge Bowl, which corresponded equally with your inability in any of the athletic pursuits of the other societies, right? So um, that was just, I had kind of forgotten all about Knowledge Bowl. And so I'm telling you a little bit, a little adds a little color to uh, our background um, yet again. Um, and so for the priesthood, oh, I'm preaching, I forgot what I'm doing. I'm preaching. For the priesthood, they didn't have knowledge bowl. Hey, who knows, who knows the ways of God best? No, God, as he so often does in the Bible, God calls out people for reasons known ultimately only to him. As we think through even the history of the people of God, Abraham is chosen for no other reason than God chose Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. And it's very likely that Abraham was not someone who was going, is there a God and I want to know the one true God out of all the other false gods that are surrounding me here in Ur. God called Abraham. I'm getting way ahead of myself and I'm going to make this uh, point again here in just a moment. Brothers and sisters, if you know God, it's because God called you. God calls out this Aaronic priesthood, this Aaron and his sons, um, for reasons, it's, and it's obviously not reasons because of their, their holiness. That's, you know, they weren't the holiest dudes in Israel, as, as we keep reading in Exodus and Leviticus. We're going to find out that is not why God chose Aaron and his sons. But these men were called, and they were called for a specific purpose. These men were called to draw near to God. They, they were given a privileged position in the nation of Israel. These guys were being called upon to get really close to God. Now, because of Yahweh's incredible kindness and mercy and love for his people, he's already chosen to build a tabernacle amongst his people. And so there's a reality that the people of God have proximity to God in a way that no other nation has. We've talked about this before. If, if you were an outsider to the nation of Israel... Right, we call them Gentiles. Right, these other nations, a Philistine or an Assyrian comes up and is talking with one of the Israelites, and they're like, "Well, where's your God?" And and an Israelite could say, "Well, he's actually his presence is manifest to us right, right over here. Like, do you see, you see that tabernacle area? That's where our God is. We get to live close to him." But they could not just march into the holy place of the tabernacle, and certainly not the holiest place in the tabernacle. But Aaron. Aaron was being given a privilege to move in close and once a year all the way in 
to the holiest place on earth, the holy place in the tabernacle. Aaron and his sons were called by God, and Aaron and his sons were clothed by God. Now, through, I only read through verse 4 of chapter 28, but if you keep reading through the rest of chapter 28, you're going to see an expansion and an explanation of the clothing that the priest here in the Old Testament wore. Now, I have an actual photograph here of one of the priests from the Old Testament. This was, this was Aaron. This is actually a photograph of... No, I'm just kidding. Obviously, right? You can laugh, right? Um, this is an artist's rendering, an attempt at what the clothing that Aaron you know, would have worn may have looked something similar to this. Look again in verse 24. Uh, the garments that are to be made, is a, there's a breast piece and an ephod. A, a breast piece, this breast piece um, is, you see there, there's, a, there's several rows. If you keep reading in, in chapter 28, there's four rows with three stones on. And each of those stones would bear the name of one of the tribes of Israel, one of the families in the nation of Israel. And so right here, this is, this is not a coincidence, over his heart, the priest is bearing the names of the people of Israel. And inside that breast piece were, and look in verse 30 of this chapter, describes um, some stones that we uh, know as Urim and Thummim. They shall be on Aaron's heart. And, and there's a lot of speculation as to exactly how the Urim and the Thummim were used. Was, they were likely used to determine God's will in a situation. And so the high priest, as he was rendering judgment on something, uh, would seek God. And it, was, it, it, was, um, it would be, uh, it's not the equivalent to flipping a coin, right? Like, but it, would, it was, let's pull, if, uh, if, God, if God's will is this, then I will draw Urim. And if God's will is this, then I will draw Thummim. And, and they believed that God would direct through the choice of Urim and Thummim. Some believed that, that um, uh, I heard one uh, scholar describe it this way, that um, because the priest was going in to offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people, um, and there was the, the, the knowledge that um, this, uh, this sacrifice is being offered for the sins of the people, will it or will it not be accepted by God? And because it's a blood sacrifice, they knew that it would, that it would be accepted by God. And the Urim and the Thummim were representative of a choice has to be made, but we know that God is going to receive this sacrifice. And so there's a little bit of speculation as to exactly how these items were used, except what you do know, that they're in this breast piece. And again, not coincidentally, they're pressing on the heart of the priest. They're right there against the heart of the priest. This breast piece is described. And then the ephod is also described. And this would have been like the top uh, apron. It, it, uh, it had two stones on top of the shoulders, which this image you can kind of barely see, especially on, I guess it would be his right side. You, uh, as you look on the left, you can see a, a one square stone on his shoulder, and he would have another one there on his left shoulder. And on each of these, uh, there were six, uh, six of the names of the, tribe, uh, the tribes of Israel uh, were on each of those, of those stones. And so, so Notice what, what the priest is doing. He's bearing the names of Israel on his heart. He's bearing the names, the tribes of Israel on his shoulders. When he goes into God, he is carrying the people of God on his shoulders and in his heart. The ephod um, uh, was, was, again, that uh, kind of that elaborate, that beautiful apron that's on the outside there, and it would have had those, uh, those stones there as well. And then, and then the robe, this all blue, this solid robe underneath the ephod, at the bottom of which there were pomegranates and bells. And we, we read later um, in chapter 28 how the bells were there um, in case the priest were to die. These, these bells kept ringing to let us know that the, the priest is still in the holy place or in the holiest place, and, and he's still active and moving. The, the, the coat underneath that blue robe is just that, that white uh, fine linen base layer. And then, of course, he's wearing a, that, the, the turban, as it's described here, a hat. And on the, on the hat, there's that gold plate right there on his forehead, which reads, Holy to the Lord. And then, and then a sash of this beautifully embroidered sash around him. And then in chapter 28, verse 42, actually describes linen undergarments, right? Like holy underwear, 
is, is literally, and I'm not trying to be even silly, like that's literally what's being described here because obviously to go into God's presence, you need to be appropriately covered. And so here we see the, the, the high priest, the holy priest of Israel is given some really spectacular garments. And so um, I think I'm going to try to find one on eBay and start wearing that every Sunday. I think that would really, um, that would add a lot to my, my ministry. No, obviously. Um, th- this garment, obviously, God's not merely thinking of a fashionable way to dress the high priest. God's not just thinking, well, I've made a really fancy tabernacle, and so, hey, this is going to be a coat and tie affair, or this is a black tie affair, right? Like, no, God's doing something more than just giving him fancy clothes. God is giving him very intentional clothing. The clothing, brothers and sisters, is representative of a couple things in particular. First of all, I believe it's representative of the holiness of God, and then I believe it rep- it's representative of the people of God. First of all, the holiness. Did you notice that when we described the curtains and the, and the, uh, the tabernacle itself a few weeks ago, that we described it as being decorated with pomegranates and woven out of linen and purple and scarlet yarn and gold and be- like what God is adorning the priest with is obvious. I mean, it's almost like you could say they went and the, they, they took some of the trimmings from the tabernacle and they made those, they used that to make the garments of, of the high priest. That's not how they made it. But I'm just saying, like, it obviously associates him with proximity to God. It, it's clear that these garments are indicating you're right up in uh, the presence of God. You're, you are in a holy place uh, doing a holy thing when you wear these garments. And then secondly, it obviously represents the people of God. There are 12 stones, each with the name of one of the tribes of Israel, that are across the heart of the high priest. And on each of his shoulders, there are six names of the, of the tribes of the people of Israel. And so God's people's names are on his shoulders and on his heart. And he's clothed in some very holy clothing. The, the clothing itself is intended to represent holy things. Now, there's a really big problem with that. There's a really big problem with the fact that you've got these really nice clothes, these really fancy clothes. What's the problem with that? You've got a really unholy person filling those clothes. Like, okay, who's worthy of that? And, and maybe some of the people of Israel, maybe, like if they were like us, I can guarantee, if they were like me, here's what would have happened when I found out that Moses chose Aaron to wear the fancy clothes and have the, fa- the great job. I'd have been like, it's just because he's his brother. It's totally, he's, he's playing favorites. He's, he, it's nepotism. Right, like he's just picked Aaron because Aaron's his favorite, and he has to pick Aaron. Right, he didn't even consider choosing me. But the problem is, it wasn't because Aaron was holy. It wasn't because Nadab and Abihu, Ithamar and Eleazar were were noble and honorable and holy. God called them, yes, and God has prepared clothing for them. But here's the other thing that chapter twenty nine makes very clear to us. God had to cleanse, God had to consecrate men in order to make them worthy to even wear the robes in order to go into the holiest place. You take these beautiful holy clothes that represent the holiness of God and his presence, and you put them on very unholy and very sinful people. And as we read through chapter 29, which I would highly recommend that you do uh, at some point here uh, later today or this week, as you read through chapter 29, you read about all these sacrifices, several different sacrifices that are offered just for the purposes of making Aaron and his sons clean to do the work that God's called them to do. One of the sacrifices that we didn't read, but is later in this chapter, chapter 29, one of the sacrifices, they shed the blood of an animal, and then they put the blood on their right ear and on their right thumb and on their right toe. A lot of us have read that before, and you're like, that's, I'm not sure what's, What's going on there? Like, why, why, would, why would they do these strange things? And, 
and uh, most scholars are in agreement on this. I think every commentary that I read on this agreed that what that's representative of is an entire life of devotion. Like what I hear, what I do, where I go, everything is made holy and devoted to serving the Lord. I sin in all of those areas. What I hear, what I do, where I go, who I am, I'm a sinful being. And it takes blood to repair and to uh, restore. And so the priesthood themselves, they they had to be made holy. In order for them to go and to walk into the holy place and to walk into the holiest of holies, bearing the people of Israel and and representing them before God, they had to themselves be made holy or they would be destroyed. The, the, The consuming fire of God would come down on them. Brothers and sisters, just just right away here, we're going to see how utterly miserably the priests of God fail. We've still got a handful of sermons left in the book of Exodus, but many of you know the book of Exodus well enough to know that coming up here pretty soon, Aaron is going to lead the people in making an idol that misrepresents the one true God. This guy. This guy who got chosen to be the high priest is going to fail. Let me assure you, let me assure you, you would not have done better. We've had this conversation. I'm tempted every time to think, man, what a knucklehead. But, But you and I were guilty of idolatry yesterday and throughout this week and this morning and and Aaron is going to blow it big time. If, if, you, if you know the stories surrounding the priests of Israel, then you know their lives were full of sin. If they were living today, there is no question that we would make a reality television show called The Priests of Israel, right? Right after keeping up with the Kardashians at 9 o'clock on Friday night would be The Priests of Israel, and it would be it would not be for children, right? Like th- these dudes, they just fail over and over. And yet, and yet God is using them. They have to be cleaned through blood, but God is using them. And it just becomes so quickly apparent that, that we've, and again, if you haven't been with us in weeks previous, there are gaps that you're going to have because we've been talking about the sacrificial system and the shedding of blood over and over and over again. And these holy men, these priests were the ones who were right there on the front lines doing this. And these garments, these beautiful garments, there's just no way you keep those clean when you're doing the kind of work that those guys are doing. So here are beautiful garments that are covered in blood, which is symbolic, again, of what we've talked about uh, in, the, uh, in the, Holy, the Holy of Holies, where this beautiful golden uh, Ark of the Covenant is being splattered with blood um, in order to uh, make sacrifice for sin. These holy men of Israel show us that they, are, that they are not holy men of Israel. They're actually not holy men. And we need, we need someone better. Flip over, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 7. There are so, there's so much in Hebrews that we, that we need to read and we need to understand. Hebrews chapter 7, look down in verse 26, and you really could start reading here and read really kind of all the way through the end of chapter 10 at least in order to see the significant beauty of what Christ is doing in relation to the Old Testament priests. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained. This is describing Jesus Christ as the ultimate high priest. Separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priest, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever." So the high priest, Aaron and his sons, they have to, all, Aaron's the high priest and the other, his sons are, are helping serve there in a priestly fashion. 
they have to offer sacrifices for their own sins. Jesus comes and he does not have to offer sacrifices for his own sins. Jesus is the perfectly called holy man of Israel. He's the called man of Israel and he's perfectly holy. And the calling of Jesus Christ as the holy man of Israel is actually a calling that comes from before the foundation of the world. It was God's plan. Before the world was created, it was God's plan that Jesus Christ would be the perfect high priest for his people. And all through the Old Testament, we see the calling. We read the calling of the one, the anointed one who would come and be the perfect high priest. Jesus is the called one. Jesus is the clothed one. And Jesus doesn't need to wear the holy clothing of the high priest. He is the holy clothing of the high priest. Jesus, Jesus is the place where God dwells with man. He, doesn't, he, he represents the people of God directly to God. When Jesus goes to God to make sacrifice for sins, who does he bear? Who does he bear on his shoulders? Who does he bear on his heart? Jesus comes with all of the people of God throughout the history of the world, and then he bears them and their sins, and he walks into the presence of God with his sacrifice, bearing the sins of all of God's people. Jesus is called, and Jesus is clothed, and Jesus is Jesus is consecrated. He is the sacrifice. Imagine when John the Baptist sees Jesus approaching in John chapter 1, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. How confusing that might have been to many of the people that were listening to him say that. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They understand lamb and sin atonement. They understand covering sin with the blood of a sacrificial lamb. But when John looks at another human being and says, look, there's the lamb who's going to take away the sins of the world, certainly there were those that day who would have been confused by those words. But brothers and sisters, those of us who know the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who understand the work that Christ did, understand John's words more clearly. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He doesn't need to be made clean. The reason you are made clean is because he was clean when he made the sacrifice. He offers his life as a payment for sin once and for all. And he does this and he sits down and he's done. The holy man of God does the priestly work once and for all. And brothers and sisters, this is why we don't have priests. Now, I realize there are other religions and other denominations that may refer to their leaders as priests, but brothers and sisters, that that is not an accurate description. That's not a term that we should use for any human being. As we, we, we should not interact with another human being in a way that they are operating as a priest because you and I, because of the work of Jesus Christ, now have access. We have proximity. We've been given not those weird clothes that Aaron and his sons wore. You've been given the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ, and that's the high priestly garment that gives you and I access to the Father. I'm getting ahead of myself. That's not even in my notes. 1 Peter chapter 2. If you want to turn there, this is another fantastic passage. 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 5 through 9. I'm going to skip a couple portions there. But 1 Peter, if you want to follow along, 1 Peter 2, 5 through 9. You also, as living stones, so Peter is talking to the New Testament church, talking to believers, you are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. You are a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You, jumping down to verse 9, you are a chosen generation, a holy, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may pray, proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, in the Old Testament, the holy men of Israel went before God and represented the people of God and made atonement for their sin for those people. And when Jesus came, he did that work in himself once and for all so that now we're not like Israel where we know that God's over there, but we can't get too close. 
Brothers and sisters, we are now called and clothed and consecrated. You are called and clothed and consecrated. I think sometimes as Christians, we focus so much on the fact that we're dirty, rotten sinners that we forget that we are called, clothed, and consecrated because of the work of Christ. You have been called by God to be one of his children. If you have put faith in Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, it is because he has tapped you on the shoulder of your heart. Is that a thing? You know what I'm, you know what I'm trying to say, right? He tapped you on the shoulder of your heart. He initiated. He called you. He drew you up out of the miry clay. You who were dead in your trespasses and sins. He has made alive in Christ. You are called to be a holy one, a priest, someone who lives in proximity to the one true God. God in the Old Testament selected people for ministry based on his calling, not their worthiness and Brothers and sisters, when God calls us to be his children, he calls us based not on our worthiness, but on his great mercy and his great love. And God gifts, just like God gave unique gifts to the priests in order to do the priestly work. And look, flip over to chapter 31. I'm going to hit a few verses here in chapter 31 as well, real briefly. I, I love these verses. Um, I love what they represent, how God gifts people. In, in chapter 28 and 29, God called and gifted Aaron and his sons to do the spiritual work of representing uh, the people of God uh, in, the, in their priestly function. Look in verses uh, 1 through 11 of chapter 31. Some of you know these names. You may not even know why you know these names. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Okay, filled with the Spirit of God. He's been called by name, filled with the Spirit of God to do what? This guy's probably going to be like he's going to be almost like a magician with spiritual gifts, right? He's going to be the preacher. He's going to be the priest. He's going to be filled with the Spirit of God with ability and intelligence and knowledge and all, I love this, craftsmanship. You don't see that coming. If you don't know the story, you don't see that coming. God calls a guy out, fills him with the Spirit of God, gives this guy ability, intelligence, knowledge, and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, and cutting stones for settings and in carving wood to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all men ability, excuse me, and I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you in the tent of meeting and in the ark of testimony and in the clothing. And it, like, so here's what God is doing. God is saying, I've called out some men, I've filled them with my spirit, and I've given them these incredible abilities and craftsmanship. And in fact, with a holy ab, I'm going to give him a bezalel. And in fact, there's going to be a bunch of other men that I'm going to e- equip these men who have ability, I'm going to give them the ability to, to build the things that I've commanded you to build for my glory. Brothers and sisters, when we read in 1 Corinthians about how God gifts the church, he's doing, he's doing essentially the same thing for us in the New Testament, where he gathers people together and he says, now listen, I'm going to give you gifts to serve the body this way, and I'm going to give you gifts to serve the body this way, and I'm going to give you gifts to serve the body this way, right? And so, Different people in the room have different gifts. If you're here for Sunday school on Sunday morning, it's obvious how God, one of the ways in which God has gifted Matt Moore, right? We, we see how God has gifted him in that way. But if you're around here during the week and you see Matt Peavy coming in and out or you see Mark Shoemaker coming in and out, right? It's obvious that this body of believers needs more than just someone who can teach or someone who can preach and be nice to people. I think those are my spiritual gifts, preaching and being nice to people. I'm not sure if the second one is actually a spiritual It probably is a spiritual gift. Okay. Um, but, but God, in his wisdom, gave the people of Israel. I mean, can you imagine Aaron and his sons going, okay, uh, we know we're supposed to do this sacrificial thing, but like we're supposed to make our own clothes? I don't know how to make clothes. We're supposed to build this golden Ark of the Covenant? We don't know how to do that. And the Holy Abba and Bezalel are like, leave that to us. Man, I have been. And some of you guys are this way. Some of you ladies are this way too. You've got your sewing room. 
You've got your, you've got your, for the ladies, um, I guess guys can sew too. Um, and, or you've got your, your, you've got your wood shop, right? Your workshop where you go and you do. And, and, and I walk into a thing like that and I'm like, I don't even know what these tools do, right? But God has gifted you. God has gifted different people differently. God gifted people differently in the Old Testament. And, and, it, and often it was, it was obviously a God-ordained, like God called and gave this person this gift, right? So it wasn't that every Israelite got to just volunteer to be on the, the team who made the Ark of the Covenant. And, and as, even as we minister within the church, brothers and sisters realize that just because you have a desire to do a thing doesn't mean that God has gifted and equipped you to do that thing or even that, that you, you know, the, the shepherds that God has given to this church would recognize, hey, you know what, I know you really want to sing, so we're going to put you on the music team. There's, there's, another, there's something in between your desire to be on the music team and serving on the music team. I'm using music as an easy illustration, right? What, what, there's something in between those two you have to be able to sing, right? And, and so just because you have a desire to do a thing doesn't mean that you get to do the thing. God, God is the one who calls. God is the one who clothes and consecrates. God is the one who has given shepherds to help oversee the management of the, of the church and the gifts of, within the church, right? Uh, shepherds in Ephesians chapter 4 are the ones who would equip saints to do the work of the ministry. So we equip and we help uh, lay out and line out. God has, God has called and God has equipped you for ministry here in the church in a similar way to the way he called and equipped and gifted people in the Old Testament to do the work that was always for his glory. The, the priests served for the glory of God. The craftsmen served for the glory of God. Pastors served for the glory of God. Musicians served for the glory of God. Janitors served for the glory of God. Children's ministers served for the glory of God. We are, we're called by God, to be God's holy people. We are clothed by God to be God's holy people. We don't wear heavy, can you imagine how heavy the priestly garments must have been? I, I mean, I don't know exactly how heavy, but it's got 12 rocks on the front, two rocks on the shoulders, two rocks stuffed inside the breast piece, and then there's gold connecting everything together. And that's just on the ephod. Under that, you've got the robe. Under that, you've got the tunic. And under that, you've got your holy underwear, right? And you're in the desert killing animals all day, right? Like, I'm just thinking this is not the most comfortable thing to wear. And, um, and, and so what God does in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, for our sake, God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Isaiah chapter, I think it's 51, it describes us as adorned with the righteousness of Christ. You do have holy garments, but you don't get them at a special spiritual clothing store. You get the holy garments of God when you come to Jesus Christ in faith and his righteousness is given to you. And God looks at Aaron and he sees all of those, all that clothing representing holy things. And when God looks at you, he sees Jesus Christ representing the holiness of God. That's why we aren't destroyed when we walk into the presence of God. We are called to come near to him and we are clothed so that we can. And we've been consecrated through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Like Moses and Aaron needed sacrifice, uh, Aaron and his sons needed sacrifices to cleanse their sins. Jesus Christ comes and makes the sacrifice that makes us clean. His sacrifice paid the price for our sins. One author says this: When Christ uttered his last breath on the last breath on the cross, he tore into the temple veil. We talked about that. Christ's priestly work opened the new and living way through the veil of his flesh so that all believers have immediate access to God who is in the heavenly holy of holies. That's why we refer to, we use 1 Peter chapter five, uh, verse, chapter 2, verses 5 and 9, the, the reference there, we're a holy priesthood. That's why we call it the priesthood of the believer. So we don't go and tell our sins to a priest and then he goes to God for us. We go by the blood of Jesus Christ directly into the presence of God. We go into the holy of holies, not by ourselves. It was never by yourself. 
It was never by yourself. And the Old Testament wasn't by yourself, and today it's not by yourself. We go into the holy presence of God covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so, Romans chapter 12. I am going to ask you to turn there. Romans chapter 12. So how do we live? Yes, I'm concluding. Here's, here's my conclusion. How do we live as priests of God? Many of you know this passage really well. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Look at all the priestly language that's used just in verse 1. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. What did, the, what did the priests present to God? Sacrifices, blood sacrifices. Um, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. The priests themselves, because of the, the ceremonial cleansing and because of the clothing that they were wear, wearing, that's how they were holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. The priests would offer the spiritual worship for the nation to God. And now Paul is using language that no Old Testament believer would have missed, that no, no uh, Israelite would have missed as he would uh, write the book of Romans in, in chapter verse 1. This language was clearly language that would have been limited only to the priest, but because the high priest, the perfect high priest, Jesus Christ has come, now we, brothers and sisters, live like holy priests of God. We are there is, there, the priesthood of the believer is a real thing. So number one, live close to God. These are my concluding points. Number one, live close to God. The priest was allowed proximity to God. Brothers and sisters, the Old Testament Israelites would look at you and I today and be so envious and jealous. You have the righteousness of Jesus Christ covering you and the Spirit of God dwelling within you. What a wonderful, wonderful truth. Because you enjoy priesthood, you get to enjoy what any Old Testament old believer would have been jealous of. You can live all day, every day in the presence of God. Not just when you're in this building, not just on Sunday mornings, not just when you're reading your Bible, but when you're eating your lunch and you're plowing your fields and you're watching your grandkids and you're being blown by the wind and you're at a baseball practice or you're walking sprinklers or you're grading papers. You live in the presence of God because you get to enjoy the priesthood of the believer. The curtain has been torn. Live, brothers and sisters, aware of your proximity to God. Number two, bring others close to the presence of God. Bring others close to Him. The priest went before God with the names of Israel on his shoulders and on his heart. Do you go to God with the names of others on your heart? I know many of you do. It's for some of you, it's family members or it's friends in the community. Brothers and sisters, go, go to God with others on your shoulders and on your heart. The priest went to God for others. And you do the same. God is gracious and he is just, but sinners won't go unpunished. They need forgiveness of their sins. So you go to God for others and then you go to others for God. Serve as a priest. And then thirdly, live your life as Romans chapter 12, number, verse 1 would call you to. Live your life as a living sacrifice. My, my three concluding points, live close to God. The priests live close to God. Bring others close to him. The priests brought others close to him. And live as a living sacrifice. The priests brought sacrifices to be made to God. You live your life as a living sacrifice completely and totally consumed and devoted by the one true God, remembering that there was one man who lived this way and he lived it for you so that you can live this way. And I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes and the music team will come. We'll conclude with a song here in just a moment. If you're here this morning and you've never repented of your sins and put faith in Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you can do that right here, right now, this morning. You can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved because of the high priestly work of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to talk with me or one of the other pastors, I'll be here in the front, and Pastor Matt or Pastor Will will be in the back. 
there in the lobby to visit with you, or if you would just want to catch one of us or text one of us during the week, we'd love to visit with you about that. I think all of us deserve uh, or uh, um, need the reminder of who we are in Christ, who we are because of Christ, and how we now live because of Christ. Live close to God, bring others close to Him, and live as a living sacrifice. Father, we thank you for this beautiful imagery out of the Old Testament of the high priestly work of Aaron and his sons. We're thrilled to know that the work that your son, Jesus Christ, did was the final high priestly work necessary. And now we get to live as priests of God because of the work of Jesus Christ. Help us to live in the good of that reality. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and we'll conclude with a song. I'm going to call a quick audible here. The Mexico missions team, why don't you come up real quick? I'm going to ask Pastor Will to pray for, we leave Friday morning.